Chapter Eighteen of In the Line of Battle, edited by Walter Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: Saving the Soldier. Doctor Grenfell's Experience. Leaving his great work in Labrador and Newfoundland, so that he might visit the front as a member of the Harvard Surgical Unit, Dr. Wilfred T. Grenfell spent three months in France as an army surgeon, and during a short stay in London related some of his experiences and indicated the marvellous advance that has been made in overcoming disease and saving our soldiers' lives. Not long ago in public, Field Marshal Lord Grenfell said that when he and Dr. Grenfell went into large communities, people did not say to Dr. Grenfell, Are you a cousin of Lord Grenfell? They said to him, Lord Grenfell, Are you a cousin of Dr. Wilfred Grenfell? And he was very proud indeed to be able to say yes. Dr. Grenfell's two cousins, the twin brothers who were both captains in the Ninth Queen's Royal Lancers, were killed in action, one of them, Captain F. O. Grenfell, being the first of the recipients of the Victoria Cross granted for the present war. Two other cousins, the brothers Captain the Honourable Julian Grenfell, and Second Lieutenant the Honourable G. W. Grenfell, sons of Lord Desborough, have also fallen in the war. I am on my way from France to Labrador, and I am really sorry to be out of khaki, though I never was in it before. While I was in the thick of my work on the other side of the Atlantic, I was invited to join the Harvard Surgical Unit at the front. I found it possible to do so, because I knew that in my temporary absence my work in Labrador and Newfoundland would be faithfully carried on by my friends and devoted helpers. So I came over and was attached to the Harvard Unit with the rank of Major, and the experiences I have gained as an Army Surgeon will remain amongst the greatest and proudest of my life. I have had the opportunity of seeing what the British Army is doing in many ways in this terrible war. I have been at many places, including the base at Bologna, and many great battle centres such as Ypres, Bethune, and Armentieres, and I have been in the trenches, so that I have had full chances of seeing what is really going on. It is hard, almost impossible, to find words in which to express admiration of the courage, endurance, and humanity of the British troops in this terrible conflict. All my life has been a roving one, ever since I took my degree as a doctor, exactly thirty years ago. When I really began life, I decided to look for some field of work where I could be useful. I went into the London hospital, and very soon became intensely interested in the Royal National Mission to deep-sea fishermen. In those days the fishing vessels were all sail, and when a man was seriously injured he had to be transferred to some vessel that was carrying fish to Billingsgate, and then he was taken to the London hospital. This state of things on the North Sea brought home to one the possibility of Christian men preaching the gospel of love and help, and men went out and largely brought about that wonderful revolution which we see today amongst North Sea fishermen. I cannot help feeling that in the trenches, right along the line where the surgical men are working, there is just the same problem to deal with as we encountered in those early days of mission effort in the trawling fleets. Very great difficulties had to be overcome in performing operations in tiny mission hospital smacks on the open sea far from land, just as unusual obstacles have to be surmounted in treating wounded fighting men at the front today. 
the problem in the north sea was to heal men's bodies as well as to help them to take a higher view of life and it seems to me that the problem at the front is just the same in dealing with the body there have been preventive developments which are little short of marvellous the history of war is not the history of wounds as a rule it has been the history of disease and speaking as an unbiased person i think that in this connection we are doing a perfectly magnificent work first of all the troubles of the trench fighting have been the gas bacillus which is an animal bacillus and the tetanus bacillus both began operations in this war with terrible results but now they have scarcely any effect it must be remembered that the soil in france and flanders where so much of the fighting has taken place is highly cultivated and is therefore splendid breeding ground for these deadly bacilli so much is this the case with tetanus that in the early stages of the war bits of uniform which have been driven into the body however slightly were infinitely more dangerous than serious wounds caused by clean shrapnel for the cloth by contact with the soil had become infected with the bacillus i have seen men with pieces of shrapnel left in their wounds and doing well but a piece of uniform sodden with the rich soil was a very different thing but so wonderful has been the advance in the method of treating tetanus that to-day if taken in time such a thing as a fatal result is extremely improbable every soldier is so quickly and skilfully treated that danger practically does not exist the very terrible gas bacillus caused another very common disease for the gas produced a kind of gangrene yet now there is very little mortality indeed from this cause in the beginning too any number of men were lost from typhoid fever but now typhoid is getting so rare that if a case occurs anywhere on the front it is known the same night at the french general headquarters that remark applies to the whole of our armies and so rigid is the control which is kept over these matters that on the day following the report a searching local inquiry is held as to the cause of the disease at the front i saw men who came from all parts of the country where i have been working for the past twenty-five years canadians americans and so on and in passing just let me say that in connection with this war we are misjudging america because of the attitude which the president has taken i have stayed with mr wilson and with mr roosevelt and i know that the spirit of america is with us it is because the whole spirit of the american people is with us that thirty-three doctors and thirty-six nurses most of them giving up splendid practices went out from america to the front as the harvard unit to help us just so the chicago unit and many more americans fighting in the ranks i have seen at the front men of all ages and of every rank in life veterans who were a long way over the army age and immature youths of sixteen or seventeen the spirit of loyalty and the determination to do their bit made them go often enough a boyish patient would smile when i looked at the chart and asked him how old he really was oh that's my army age he would say and go on smiling i was right round the trenches two weeks ago and as that was early in march and the winter has been exceptionally bad the conditions were intolerable there is no anxiety because everybody is sure that the line is strong but the wet mud and exposure make you think that the men will get pneumonia and bronchitis yet what mostly happens is trench foot i have seen a lot of that in labrador where we call it frostbite 
It is not, however, the same, though it appears to be. I have travelled many times in Labrador in winter, when the thermometer has been twenty and thirty degrees below zero, and I have never had frostbite except once in my life. That was when I was driving my dog-team over the ice. The ice broke, and my dogs went into the sea. They shared a flow with me throughout an awful night, and my life was saved at the sacrifice of theirs. I have told that story in detail elsewhere, so I need not tell it now. I saw 150 men from a Highland regiment with frostbite, but that was quite exceptional, and was due to the phenomenal weather and the impossibility of relieving the men when their relief was due, because they were fighting continuously for over forty-eight hours. There is another direction in which immense strides have been made, and that is with respect to vermin. At one time, at the beginning of the war, there were as many as four thousand men who had scabies, or itch, and were out of action for the time being, but you hardly see such a case now, because of the wonderful measures which are taken to keep the troops perfectly clean and fit. Close behind the trenches immense vats have been placed to serve as baths for the men, and the happiest fellows I saw were those who were rolling and splashing in these hot baths, while their uniforms and clothing were being thoroughly cleansed, in superheated steam-chests, and finished off with heavy hot irons. Just as we got into one of these cleaning depots, a Jack Johnson burst very near us, but nobody took the slightest notice of it, so accustomed does one become to the happenings of war. Five or six men were in each hot bath, and something like two thousand baths a day are given. The men become thoroughly clean personally, and their clothing also is perfectly freed from vermin and filth, and the troops look as happy as possible. I was greatly struck by the coolness and courage of all who worked in these laundries, women as well as men, and I could not help thinking that if I stood one week of it I should be entitled to the DSO. Endless thousands of uniforms, socks and articles of underclothing are constantly dealt with in the manner I have described, and many of the workers are under artillery fire all the time. In the treatment of bad wounds, too, there has been very great advance, and for such cases as broken femurs such an ingenious device has been hit upon that you might well say that instead of putting a man into bed you put the bed on to the man the r a m c is really doing its very best and i shall go back to america feeling perfectly satisfied that the british soldier is getting all the attention that i could wish to have myself when the war began the surgeons did not know where to put the wounded because of the varying fortunes of the fighting even Bologna, Calais, and Havre were not certain of safety, so that attending to the wounded and accommodating them was a precarious thing. But the temporary hospitals have been gradually replaced by stationary hospitals. The mobile makeshift has been succeeded by the permanent institution, and so splendid and complete are the resources now that in one day the enormous total of one hundred thousand casualties could be dealt with by the RAMC. Casualty clearing stations, field ambulances, advanced dressing posts, and fixed hospitals are about as perfect as they can be made, and so admirable are the arrangements that I saw one man who had been shot through the abdomen and was in hospital in less than an hour from the time he was wounded, which is almost quicker than you would do it in London. A great many of the less seriously sick and wounded do not have to go to the base at all. At times one rest camp was sending eighty per cent, straight back to the line, entirely new men, and as they say in America, 
it would tickle you to death to see how these things are done. If you count up the men who have been wounded and invalided from all causes, you will find that there are still twice as many sick people as there are wounded. And the strange thing is that as there are more wounds there is less sickness, because directly a push comes the men don't think nearly as much about sickness as when there is nothing doing. If you take one thousand persons in ordinary civil life, you will find that there will always be 3.3 sick per thousand. But at the front the rate is not quite half as many, only 1.8 per thousand men. It is a very strange thing, but I have met with a number of men who were always more or less sick in civil life, yet who got quite well again at the front. The trenches are the place for a change of air. I am sure that after this war a very great many men will never go back to the civil life they were in before. They must have more life in the open air, and there can be no finer field for them than that glorious Canada which I know so well, with its boundless possibilities of harvests and material development. One is impressed at the front with the apparent valuelessness of human life, and deeply impressed by the lavishness with which that life has been laid down by all ranks for king and country. This remark applies to every rank of life without exception, to the highest of the aristocracy as well as to the humblest private, and very remarkable too is the zeal and willingness to serve in quite subordinate positions of men who have had every advantage in life, particularly the university type. I remember at one place, when we were sitting in the mess, a sergeant brought in a paper which he handed to the colonel to read. It was a most elaborate scientific treatise on the body vermin that so greatly trouble our troops, and it was beautifully illustrated. In addition to that, the paper showed the willing endurance of personal suffering for practical purposes that I for one should not have cared to undergo for the sergeant had made himself thoroughly well acquainted with the effects of the visitation of the pests he described. I was so much impressed by the performance that I said to the colonel, Who is your sergeant? And he replied, Oh, he's the professor of entomology in the University of Blank. As I talk, my mind takes me back to Labrador and its ice-bound coast, and I recall that when working through the ice-fields in our little mission ship, the Strathcona, or travelling in lonely regions with my dog-teams, I saw so many evidences of the eagerness of men out there to do their bit in this tremendous war. Almost to a man, when they heard that we were fighting, they wanted to come over. But at first in Labrador we got very little news, and when news did come it was not credited. "'Oh,' said the men, "'don't you believe it. They've always got some scare on. They're going to put the price of fish up.' fish, you know, is the greatest of all material things out in that vast and lonely land. But what happened when they knew that it was not a scare, but real war, and a fight for liberty and justice? Why, fifteen hundred men of Labrador and Newfoundland went into the navy alone, and these brave and splendid fellows crowded into the army too. A thousand of them were in Gallipoli, and wherever they were they found their hard experience of the utmost worth. Our trappers soon learn the knack of getting a seal with the gun, though the seal only just pops his head through an ice-hole, and the tiny target is the hardest of all things to see. But the trapper gets him. He seldom misses. And whenever a German puts his head out, well, he gets it too. I have been in Labrador twenty-five years, and I am proud of the way in which my friends out there have done their duty at the front. 
my own view of life is that one has to do one's duty in any place where one happens to be and i know from what i have seen that our splendid fellows at the front have the same outlook there are many many soldiers out there who with practically nothing to look forward to when the war is over are sustained by one great thing and that is the knowledge that they are doing their best i have mentioned canada as a great place for receiving men who will be set free when the war is over i have just seen the statement that canada has gone prohibition from end to end and that pleases me very much i have spent thirty years amongst deep-sea fishermen and sailors as a medical missionary and a master mariner and i have shared many dangers with them in the north sea out on the labrador coast and elsewhere but i have seen more sorrow and misery in the homes of our seafaring men through drink than i ever found in even small craft at sea all these things that i have spoken of come under the heading of practical religion and real christianity and rightly so i do not believe in the christian religion being negative it is essential that you make it positive end of chapter eighteen recording by lee smalley end of in the line of battle